passage today is Matthew 7, verses 13 to 27, which you can find on page 788 of your Black Bible. <clears throat> Before I read today's passage, Ron will lead us in a prayer for illumination. Dear Lord God, thank you for these words of Jesus. May we hear and receive them gladly today. Give us the desire to have and be and live out the goodness that can only come from you. May we be the like good trees bearing the fruit of your love and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> you want to stand right over yeah. Matthew 7, verse 13. <coughs> Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Sylvia, it might be your last public act as church administrator. <laughs> you can still do this, I suppose, but uh, you've done that You've done this and so many other things for so long, but Sylvia will hand out copies of the manuscript of the sermon for anyone who would like one, and, and thank you, Sylvia. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, we have now gone through the second half, more or less, of the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the most important blocks of teaching that Jesus ever offered and Matthew has preserved it for us. 
I'd like to start with a little review of where we've been and how we got here. I've been trying to identify some patterns in this teaching. First, I've tried to show patterns of formation. You can look at the slides on the screen, or if you have a manuscript, you can look at the diagram on the top of the first page. But formation is about what's inside of you, what's inside of a person. Jesus talks about forming good desires, what we want, and forming good character, what we're like. I've just been moving down the, the left side of the diagram if you're following on paper, but formation, um, or sorry, formation is one of the patterns that we need to understand <clears throat> and tease out of the Sermon on the Mount, forming desire and character. But desire and character are related. What we want, desire, determines what we're like. That's a basic pattern of spiritual formation, a progression from desire to character. And that's what the, the downward arrow on the diagram represents. Jesus says the eye, what you desire, is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body, your whole self will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness, Matthew 6, 22 and 23, which we read a few weeks ago. So that's a pattern of formation that I think is throughout the Sermon on the Mount and, and other passages. You can, you can take this grid and apply it to the Beatitudes, and I think you'll see it also works there as well. But I've noticed a second pattern, a movement from formation to enactment. That's another pattern, another kind of progression. That's what the arrows pointing to the right represent, the, the move from formation to enactment. What's inside of you affects what comes out of you. Your being affects your doing. Who you are is consistent with what you do, and what you do is an expression of who you are. Here's what we just heard Jesus say a few moments ago in this morning's passage. Every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Matthew 7, 8, 17 and 18. So what's inside of us is what comes out of us. Later, Jesus says, out of the heart the mouth speaks, right? So when good desires have been formed in us, when a good heart is, is operating within us, then we enact those good desires by pursuing the good things that we desire. And if good character has been formed in us, then our actions, the expressions of our character will be consistent with that good character and we will do good things. We need to understand that both of these patterns, formation and enactment, are operating all the time. It's not one or the other, it's both. Desire forms character and being leads to doing. But listen, I want to be really clear that this isn't just a picture game that I'm playing with you. It's not just a conveniently color-coded way of organizing the material in the Sermon on the Mount so that people can visualize it. This is the way grace actually works in our hearts, in our souls, 
in our lives. This is how the words Jesus speaks and the Holy Spirit that Jesus sends to us work together to form and reform us into the image of Christ, which is God's main work as far as our lives are concerned. There are positive, these are positive spiritual energies that are available to us, that, that press us and form us into the character of Christ, that, that create us into a holy humanity so that we will be holy people doing holy things, both individually and as a community of faith and practice. The goal is for our righteousness. This is right out of the Sermon on the Mount. The goal, the ideal, the necessary thing is for our righteousness to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, which if you check it out, was a pretty rigorous righteousness. The goal is for us to be holy as the Lord our God is holy. Here's one way the Apostle Paul summarizes the purpose of Christ's life and the result of what God is doing in us through Christ. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, you know the rest, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I guess we clothe ourselves with Christ's righteousness. We're not the source of it. But if we don't put on the garments, then we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And that's what I mean when I talk about enacting good character. Becoming who Christ calls us to be, doing the things he calls us to do, being like him. I pointed out in the midweek email, in case you read it, that this passage is mainly descriptive, not prescriptive. It doesn't have too much thou shalt in it. It just says, this is the way it is. Good trees bear good fruit. Good people do good things. Everyone who hears my word and, 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 and does them is like a wise person who builds a house where it will stand. And everyone who hears my words and doesn't do them is like a foolish person who builds a house where it will collapse. It's a description, sort of telling you what the world is like and what you're like. Um, this teaching is actually a lot like the book of Proverbs in that way. Proverbs doesn't have that many commands in it either. It has a lot more statements. It mainly describes what happens when people do wise things or when they do foolish things. And I'm really looking forward to later this summer, Jim, our other pastor, preaching a few sermons on the book of Proverbs. And he's doing a trial run today when he preaches at Crossroads Christian Reformed Church, uh, standing in for Doug Van Essen. But, um, so I'm looking forward to that. But, but there are two commands in this passage. And they make me think of another book in the Bible. So pay attention. This is like a, a Bible knowledge quiz. In verse 13, there's this command. Enter or go in through the narrow gate. And in verse 15, two verses later, Jesus says, Beware or be on your guard against false prophets, false teachers. I got to thinking about those two commands. Go in and be careful. Beware. For some reason, those two words, the word enter or go in, and the word beware or be careful, es erkomai and pros echo in Greek. Those words kind of grabbed me. Where have I heard them before? I remembered that there's a book in the Bible where these words are not only frequently used, but they're thematically central. Go in, but be careful. What book of the Bible centers on those ideas? Anyone got it? 
Any brave people? Okay, I'll just say what I'm thinking. If you guessed Deuteronomy, how many of you are actually thinking Deuteronomy? Anyone? <laughs> Yay, a few people. Well, check, check out. I mean, it, it'll take you maybe about an hour to read the whole book. I don't know. I didn't time it. But check out Deuteronomy and see how much it's like the Sermon on the Mount. It's the book that Jesus quotes the most frequently. Did you know that? But I think beyond that, recognizing that there's a really deep connection between Deuteronomy, its structure, and its intent, and the Sermon on the Mount is really essential for understanding the Sermon on the Mount itself. What's the basic purpose of Deuteronomy? It's preparing a new generation of Israelites to do what? To enter the promised land. Deuteronomy contains the teaching that God is giving to the people who were about to go into the promised land after their ancestors, their, their fathers and mothers had failed to do that. Moses tells this new generation to be careful how you live there so that you will please God and then God will settle you there forever. So here are just a couple two or three representative quotations from Deuteronomy, just to give you the flavor. Here's one that focuses on going in. Deuteronomy 6.18. Do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord so that it may go well with you, and so that you may go in and occupy the land that the Lord swore to your ancestors to give you. And here's a couple of verses that, that use the phrase, be careful. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, Deuteronomy 6.12. Be careful, or you will be seduced into turning away and serving other gods and worshiping them, Deuteronomy 11.16. I hope you can feel the resonance between Deuteronomy and the Sermon on the Mount, between the way Jesus uses the words enter and be careful, and the way Deuteronomy does. It's not just that we encounter the same key words, it's that both teachings come at really critical moments in salvation history, in, in, in the, 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 the real entry of God into human activity the key moments. Moses was preparing this second generation after the exodus to enter the promised land, warning them not to be led astray by the people who live there or any false prophets that might arise among them. Jesus is preparing the people of a new covenant who will enter the kingdom of heaven, warning them not to be led astray by any false teachers that might confront them. And do you know how Deuteronomy ends? It ends with a really long passage, four chapters long, starting in chapter 27, in which Moses, on God's behalf, lays before the people two starkly opposite choices. He says, I'm putting before you a blessing and a curse, life or death. Here's just a taste of those four chapters. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not listen and you're led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today 
that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. And here's the punchline. Choose life, verse 19 of Deuteronomy 30. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. And in a very similar way, Jesus is setting before those who hear his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, his disciples, us, two very stark choices, a narrow gate that leads to life or a broad gate that leads to destruction. And the punchline is the same. Choose life. It's not explicit in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's obvious. So how do we choose life? What can we actually do? Well, Jesus actually names two things in this morning's passage that we can do. Hearing his word and acting on it. That, I know, seems so obvious, so familiar, maybe so easy, and every sermon probably has some reference to that. But how obvious and easy is it really? For one thing, you have to do both. That's the real point. Hearing is no good if it doesn't lead to doing. Doing both, hearing and doing what you hear, that's not so easy. That's the work of a lifetime. And, in, and even the first one, listening to his word, can be a challenge. Listening to his word is a discipline. It takes intentionality. It takes an act of the will. It takes control over your schedule. And it's a choice. Most Christians I know don't get as much exposure to God's word as they believe. They themselves believe that they should. I hear this a lot. I probably don't read the Bible as much as I should. I even say it sometimes. I hear it when I make family visits. I hear it when I have pastoral conversations to people. You know what? It's not that hard to change. You can read the Bible as much as you should, or more than you do. And nothing's more formative than God's Word. Attentive listening to God's Word is something that continually forms and reforms and refines us, shapes our desires, which are the foundation of our character, which, are, which make the being out of which the doing comes. So listening attentively to God's word and faithfully to his word is really the right place to start. Hearing and then doing. Doing is enactment, but it's also formational. In many ways, these patterns are cyclical and reciprocal. They move in both directions. Being shapes doing, but doing also shapes being. Just... Let me, let me just give you a couple of illustrations. Have you ever checked out the hands of, like, Sherlock Holmes style, a quarterback, or someone who plays a stringed instrument? Quarterbacks have pretty amazing grip strength, and usually a, a much bigger forearm on the side that they throw the ball from. Guitar players also have pretty good grip strength, especially if they play a steel string guitar, and hard calluses on their fingertips. Where do, so, so their bodies change from what, what they do. Where does that come from? It comes from a whole lot of doing. People get good at things they do repeatedly, and they also get formed to do the things that they do. And that comes mostly from two things. I would say study and practice, which obviously is related to hearing and doing, right? A performing musician has to know the music. 
has to study the parts where the fingering is challenging, where the rhythm is complicated, where the notes that come up aren't the ones that you would expect. So you trip when you sight read. You practice. You study. I mean, you study and then you practice and you keep practicing until it sounds good, until it comes naturally, until you could, could do it first thing in the morning when you wake up. And then maybe that musician is ready to perform. And a, and a quarterback, it's not the same skill, but it's the same rhythm. A quarterback has to learn the whole playbook. That's, that's why there are very few rookies that come into the NH, NFL and, and succeed. But they also have to practice those moves. They have to practice those plays. They study, and then they work on the field. And then maybe when game time comes, the quarterback's in the right position to go out and execute the right play or call the right audible because of the study and because of the practice. There's obviously more to it than that. But these are the essentials of knowing and doing, of studying and practicing. And maybe there's one more factor here. Let's call it motivation. Let's call it desire. It's where we started, and maybe it's where we should end our study of these cyclical and reciprocal patterns of formation and enactment. Where is your heart? What really motivates you? What would make you willing to do the learning and the practicing that it takes to form and enact good desire and good being and good doing. For quarterbacks, it's probably sheer love of the game that makes them willing to do all that hard work. For musicians, it's probably a love of music. So it won't be surprising if I say that for Christians, it's going to be love for Jesus and what he promises us. The saddest thing in this whole passage is that Jesus tells us that he's, he's going to say to some people on that day, that day of judgment, I never knew you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Jesus would say that to someone who actually did love him? That's the difference. Whatever they did, they did it without love for Jesus. And whatever is going to motivate us to participate in these patterns of formation and enactment, it's going to be love for Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And it might not be as hard as we think to find those, those um, spiritual plays in the playbook or those spiritual musical passages. They're, might, they're out there, actually. Ephesians 2, verse 10. A verse that probably most of us know the first part of better than the second part, starting in 9. For gra by grace you are saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. But we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared in advance that we should walk in them. It's very active language. It's the language of enactment. So I'll just end with that. There are good works out there waiting for you. God has prepared them 
in advance. Let's go out and find them. Would you pray with me? Father, we know that we will never stand before you in our own righteousness. But we don't want to come before your son and say, or hear him say, I never knew you. Give us grace to learn to know you, Lord Jesus, and to love you by hearing your word and by doing it. Form us, we pray. Give us the grace that we need to love what you command, to desire what you promise, and to do the things that are consistent with your word. Father, we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.